completely do not know what that is. I mean, I, at core, yeah, I understand that, but I assure you I did not ask for anyone's nasty eaten apple core <laughs> to be brought up here this morning. Now, those are just going to turn brown. Some of you are going to just be stuck on that this morning. You're going you're to just watch them turn brown and My oldest son, Ben, will be 21 before too long, uh, and he's a fine young man, but, but you should have seen him when he was a baby. I mean, he had this blonde hair, almost white, and he had these, these fat little cheeks. You just wanted to pinch him, and, uh, and he was so cute and, and so funny and and he he was so smart and, and I know I'm biased okay but but really he was just so much more smarter um you know than than your kids but that's beside the point <laughs> there was this time in his life when if he was hungry we fed him I mean, just put the food, literally, right into his little mouth. If he made a mess, I mean, if we're talking about a, a wet diaper, dirty diaper, we changed him, cleaned him up. If he got into something, made a mess, maybe spilled juice or knocked over a house plant, remember that, Ben? We cleaned it up. When he, got, when he got dirty, you know those little neck beads that babies get? Little dirt necklace? We bathed him. But something happened. He changed. Thank you. He, he changed. He grew up. He got older. He, he matured. And the level of responsibility that he had to take for himself changed also. He went from being fed to being provided with food and feeding himself. And just recently, he's had the experience of buying his own food and having to prepare meals for himself. So things have changed for him. He takes care of his own personal hygiene. Thank goodness. I... There was a time when I would grab his little feet, his little toes, and I'd just kiss those little feet and chew on those toes. I wouldn't touch his shoes without a hazmat suit on today. (laughs) If he makes a mess, he cleans it up or it doesn't get cleaned up. What he does not do is sit at the table with an open mouth like a baby bird waiting for his mom or I to drop food in his mouth. He doesn't go and sit in the bathtub and just wait for us to come bathe him. He doesn't stand beside a mess or something that's broken just crying until mommy and daddy show up to take care of it. If he did that, if he did that at age 21, we would know that something was horribly wrong. Wouldn't we? Either he would be irresponsible 
at a level that's almost incomprehensible or he would be severely developmentally challenged. But either way, something would be terribly wrong. Reminds me of some church people I know. Used to puzzle me. How someone could attend church for 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 years or more and never change. Never change. Never grow. They still expected somebody else to feed them. Whether it was their pastor, their Sunday school teacher, or their small group leader, or a Bible study teacher somewhere. And preferably with something that had been strained and pulverized to the point that they didn't even have to move their jaw. They expected someone to clean up after them after they made a mess. And there was something else. They were the same mean, greedy, self-centered person that they had been before they ever started attending church. And that's when I understood something that we've said several times in this series. There's a difference between attending church and following Jesus. We're wrapping up this series this morning, a series of messages called Core. We've been talking about our core values. We've been talking about the ideas and the, and the concepts that are important to us, the, the, the biblical concepts that we see as the foundation for the way that we do ministry in this community. And so we've expressed those core values in a variety of ways. We've said that... that um, People who have been found find other people. We, we've said that people who have been saved serve other people. We said that people who have life share life with other people. And then last week we said that the good news about Jesus is the core message of the church. Well, today we want to talk about discipleship. Now, we've got to pause there because that is very much a church insider kind of word. Disciple, discipleship, those are words that we never use anywhere else other than church world. Right? Now, we do use a form of that word. The word discipline comes from the same root that disciple and discipleship come from. But we don't use those words. Very, very simply, being a disciple is simply being a follower of Jesus. That's all that it means to be a disciple. It means you're a follower of Jesus. Discipleship, then, is that process of us following Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus is being a disciple. Growing, changing through following Jesus is discipleship. Here's how I want to express this as a core value. It's in your notes. At New Hope, we believe that the Bible teaches that followers of Jesus grow. And growing people change. Followers of Jesus grow. And growing people change. In fact, I'll make a major step out here. And I'll say this. If we are not growing and changing, we are not following Jesus. Because you and I cannot walk with Jesus and stay the same. 
If we're following him, we're going to be growing. And if we're growing, that means that Jesus is changing things. He's changing things around us. He's changing things in us, changing things through us. And it doesn't matter if we've been walking with him for five minutes or 50 years. If we're following him, we're growing. And if we're growing, we're changing. Nobody gets to retire from this program. Think, turn over in your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible with you. If you don't, all these verses that I referenced this morning are going to be up on the screen. But Philippians chapter 3. I, I want us to think for a moment about the Apostle Paul. Easily. At or near the top of anybody's list of the best Christians who have ever lived. You think? I mean, easily. Because this guy, Paul, did some things that, that, that we have never done. He, um, he brought a guy back from the dead. One time, he, he preached so long that a guy fell asleep. A guy who was sitting in a window fell asleep. Fell out the window to the ground and died. Now, can I just say this? I get a little long-winded sometimes, and, uh, and I ain't that great of a preacher, but nobody's ever died. <laughs> Paul goes down, lays hands on the man, he comes back to life, Paul goes back and preaches till midnight, and if you've raised somebody from the dead, you can do that. Right, well, he raised that guy from the dead, we, just, we can't, we gotta let him go until he finishes. <laughs> Paul healed people. Paul saw the resurrected, ascended Jesus face to face. No one else has ever done that. We're all going to do that one day, but nobody else has ever done that. He was a missionary all over the known world. Before there were cars and planes, and you know, traveled all over the known world, establishing churches. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Clearly. When it came to being a follower of Jesus, Paul had it going on. I mean, he had that baby cranked to 11. So if there was ever a believer that we might think, this guy has maxed out his growth and development, it would be Paul. Wouldn't it? So that's why this next verse is so fascinating. Philippians chapter 3 We'll start in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Now hold up. You're Paul. You've seen Jesus face to face. You've healed people. You've raised the dead. You've planted churches. You've written stuff that theologians and Bible scholars are still trying to get their heads around 2,000 years later. And yet Paul says, I want to know Christ. Christ. And if he could say, I do not yet know Christ to the degree that I want to know him, the chances are that you and I need to say the same thing. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Now, that is a Christian poster passage of Scripture. 
All right, that's one for the Christian coffee mug, right? But for some reason, what follows next never makes it onto a poster or a coffee mug. He says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Don't forget now, this is Paul. He goes on, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul says, I'm a follower of Jesus, and as I follow him, as I press into him, as I move forward in my walk with him, he is changing me to become more like him. He is changing me to become what I am supposed to be. And then he goes on. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past. Now that's huge. And here's why. Paul is not talking about his sinful past. He's talking about his religious past. Paul opens this chapter up in Philippians listing all of these religious things that he has seen and done and experienced and accomplished. And you know what? He comes down to the end and says, it all goes on the dung heap. It all goes in the manure pile. It all gets slopped up on the honey wagon. Let me keep going. You get the picture, right? If we're not careful, we will look back at some past spiritual or religious experience. And maybe it was, you know, the day we got saved. Maybe it's our baptism. Maybe it was some stirring uh, emotional worship service that we were in. Or, or, or some healing that we experienced, or a mission trip that we went on, or a great Bible study that we were involved in. And we will think of that as the high water mark in our walk with God, that, that something that will never be surpassed. And I want to tell you something, there's danger in that that can cripple us in a couple of ways. One thing, we tend to glorify those things. When we look back, things always look a lot better and a lot bigger. There, there, it's always more exciting than it actually was maybe in the moment. And so we glorify it, and then we filter everything else through that, and, and nothing else compares to that. And so we live with this sort of discontent with where we are now because it's not what that experience was then. And we have, a, we have amazing worship in here, and we get in our car and going, well, yeah, but I remember when we used to. Totally missing what God's doing now because we're stuck on that. And the other way it can cripple us is it can lead us to think that we've arrived. Hey, we hit that high mark back there. We're done. There's nothing more for me to learn. There's nothing left for me to experience. I've been there. Paul says, I have seen and experienced things that put you to shame. He says, somebody thinks they've got a reason to brag. I have more reason to boast. But I'm forgetting that. 
because I want to know Jesus more. Because what Jesus is doing in my life right now and what he's going to do tomorrow and the next day is more important than what he has done to my growth and development. And then he says, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Translation, followers of Jesus grow and growing people change. And in the time that we have left, I want to move pretty quickly through, through five things that you and I can do to grow in our walk with the Lord, to become more mature, to be more developed followers of Jesus Christ. But first, I want to make sure that everybody hears this. Nothing that I'm going to say has anything to do with God's love for us, with his acceptance of us, or with us receiving his grace and his mercy. God's love and acceptance and forgiveness is not based on our performance. Okay? It's based on what we talked about last week. It's based on what Jesus Christ sacrificed for us on the cross. That's what his love and acceptance and forgiveness is based on. Not whether or not we do these five things. We don't have to do any of these five things to get God to love us, accept us, or forgive us. In fact, I would go so far to say that God's love for us is never in question. Our love for him may be questionable sometimes. But his love for us is never in question. So I'm going to unpack five practical things we can do if we want to grow and change. Grab your notes. Get ready. Here we go. Number one. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I ought to be able to go on to number two right there. Okay? But I'm not going to. I've been in church world over 40 years, and it is incredible to me how many people in church will say they want to hear God's voice, but they will not open God's word. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word, addressing God, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word guides us, lights the way, illuminates the path for us. And you know what? I see people who have been Christians for years wrecking their lives in the same way over and over and over and over again. Same issues, same problems. If you open up the altar for prayer and they come down front, you know what they're going to say. You know what they're going to ask for. Because they, they don't use the light for their path. They're walking a dark path. It's no wonder they stumble over things and fall over things and fall into the same traps, the same pit, over and over and over again. They're not using the light. Read your Bible. Oh, I just don't have time. But we make it to the gym or to the golf course. We make it to the walking track. We, we watch the same episode of Sports Center three times in a row. Nothing's changed. 
There hasn't been a game finish. There's no new developments. You watch the same episode of Seinfeld we've seen ten times before. We find time to do that. It, it's just dishonest, guys. At, at, at bottom line, it's dishonest for us to say, I don't have time. We all have the same amount of time. It is more honest to say, I have chosen not to use some of my time to do this thing that I will quickly and enthusiastically say is so important. Well, I, I don't know where to start. <laughs> you ever anybody say that? Or they say this. They say, I'm going to start in Genesis. Oh, man. You know what? That works for a little while. Because Genesis, that's where all the familiar Bible stories are, right? That's where all the Sunday school, vacation Bible school stories are. Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, uh, what else? Abraham and Isaac, Joseph and his coat of many colors, all that stuff's in there. You know, then you get into Moses at the very end. That story's cool, so that kind of gets you through Exodus. You, you, you know, you can kind of picture Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner in your mind there as you get through Exodus. And, but then you get to Leviticus. Oh, my goodness. This list after list after long list of laws and rules and regulations. Do this like this and do that like that. And, you know, there's a little bit of excitement in there. I mean, they, they slaughter some animals and, and, you know, they give instructions for what to do if your kids won't listen to you. <laughs> Take them out on the edge of town and stone them to death. If you're a parent, that's a yay God moment for you. <laughs> and then you get to Numbers. Book of Numbers. And it's just as exciting as the name implies. And pretty soon you're not reading your Bible anymore because you're curled up in a ball in a corner somewhere going... Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Don't start with... Don't start with Genesis with a plan to read all the way through. You, you just won't do it. You, won't, you know how I know you won't do it? Because I won't do it. And please, don't start with Revelation. In fact, I, we just ought to make a rule that nobody's qualified to read Revelation until they've read the rest of their Bible at least 50 times. Then they can read Revelation. When you leave today in the foyer, there's a 61-day reading plan. We'll take you through every book in the Bible in two months and, and let you hit the highlights of every book in the Bible. There's also a 121-day reading plan that's a, a biographical reading plan. And you will, at the end of four months, have, have read about 121 of the, the, the most important people, most significant people in the pages of Scripture. Now think about that. Think about being the only one where you work or the only one in your class who, when somebody says, who the heck is Gehazi? And you go, oh, I know Gehazi. It's 2 Kings chapter 5. Now think about that. And then there's a 365-day reading plan designed to take you through every verse of the Bible in a year. But read your Bible if you want to grow, if you want to be changed. And if you don't have a Bible, hey, listen, this is, this is for real. Don't have a Bible, okay? It's not, i got three in my car and... Um, one in my desk at work and four at home, but I don't know where any of them are. That's not what I'm talking about. If you don't have a Bible, we will give you a Bible. Just write Bible on your Connect card. We will give you a Bible. Now, 
It's not going to be Moroccan calfskin with 14 karat gold page edging. I hope you understand that. But we'll give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can read and understand. We'll give you a Bible. Just write that on your connect card. Pick yourself a reading plan and get started today. I have never known a follower of Christ who was growing in their walk with him who was not reading their Bible on a consistent basis. Read your Bible. Here's number two. Be baptized. Be baptized. The first thing Jesus asks of people when they identify with him and agree to follow him is to make that identification public through baptism. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. Familiar passage of scripture to a lot of us. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Stop. If we are followers of Jesus, he has all the authority in the relationship. All authority is his. He has all authority in our lives. If he says, stop doing that, we stop doing it. If he says, start doing it, we start doing it. He has all the authority. And then he goes on in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Remember, disciples are simply a follower of Jesus. So how do we make someone a disciple? Again, Jesus goes on. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The first thing Jesus said to do is be baptized. After we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and in his sacrifice for us on the cross and asked him to take control of our lives, the next thing we need to do is be baptized. Now, I realize this is a sensitive area. And so I want to make this as plain as I know how. In the Bible, baptism is always after salvation and by immersion. 27 examples of baptism in the New Testament. Every single one of them are after salvation and by immersion. If you got baptized at some point before you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all you were was a wet sinner. Well, Pastor, I was sprinkled. Do I need to be immersed? Fair question. I'd be happy to sit down and talk with any of you about that. But let me tell you what I'm going to ask you when we sit down to talk about that. I'm going to ask you, when were you baptized? Because if you were an adult, when you experienced that, then I'm going to say, that's your call. That We're going to give you the, the, the choice whether to do that or not. But if you were an infant or a young child, I'm going to say that that is way more about someone else's faith. Your parents, maybe your grandparents, than it was about your faith. And don't you think it's time you made a public declaration of your faith in Jesus? Well, mama will get upset. Okay. Did you decide to follow Jesus? Or mama. Just say in words. 
On the back of your Connect card is a box that says, I, I would like to know more about baptism by immersion. If you want more info on that, you check that box. We'll get you more info. But if you're a follower of Jesus who has never been baptized by immersion and you want to do that, circle that thing nice and big so we can't miss it. And we will get you scheduled to be baptized on Sunday, February the 20th, our next baptism Sunday. Okay? We will do that. Number three. Give. Yay! Woo! It's my personal favorite. Leave me hanging, man. That's kind of harsh. Let me set it up like this. In case you didn't know, I was born and raised in Alabama. And, and down there, we have a couple of pretty good college football teams. And... Uh, and it's a big, big rivalry. And there are some people who like Auburn University, the Auburn Tigers. And then there are some people who like God's football team, the University of Alabama Crimson Tide. And when they play each other on the Friday after Thanksgiving every year, you have to pull for one or the other. You cannot pull for both. It just doesn't work that way. Well, I, I pull for both teams. No! You can't do that! You've got to pick one. Come on. And I've got, this will surprise you, I've got pet peeve. It's, um, it's people who say, well, I pull for Auburn when they're not playing Alabama. Then you're not an Alabama fan. You can't do that. If you like one team, you've got to hate the other. Hey, that's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6. First of all, in verse 21, Jesus said, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. In other words, our treasure goes where our heart goes. If you challenged me, to discover what was important to you, what was valuable to you, and what you loved, I would just ask you to look one place. Your check register. Okay? Just let me look at your check register. Okay. Let me see, you know, your bank statement. It tells where the debit card was used and where checks were written and what you purchased. Where did your treasure go? And I'll tell you where your heart is. You do the same thing for me. The place where we put our treasure indicates what we love, what's important to us, what's valuable to us. And then Jesus says this. You skip down to verse 24, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. You can't pull for both teams. You've got to pull for one team or the other. Jesus said it, not me. He goes on, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what Jesus says is that the number one competitor for our worship isn't the devil. That's what I'd say, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd say you have to pull for team God or team Satan. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says you can't serve both God 
and money. Which means money is the number one competitor for our hearts. Which means if we haven't learned to faithfully give to God, we have not learned how to faithfully follow God. Let's move on. I'm going to hit these last two kind of quickly because we've already devoted entire messages in this series to them. Here's the fourth thing we can do to grow. Share Christ. Share Christ. We will grow in our faith as we share Christ with other people. Philippians, uh, I'm sorry, Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. And there's only one chapter in Philemon, but... The sixth, verse, the sixth verse says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. See, I think the reason that some Christians don't understand what we have in Christ is because they've never tried to explain it to somebody else. We grow in our faith as we share Christ. So let me ask you some questions. Did you write a name down and put it on the walls? When we did that a few weeks ago? If you did, if your answer is yes, are you praying for the person whose name you wrote down? Are, are you asking God to give you the words and the opportunity to share your faith with that person? And if you didn't write a name down, why not? Well, I, I missed that Sunday. Okay, we've given you a couple opportunities since there, since then to do that. Why haven't you done it? Do you seriously expect us to believe you don't know anybody who needs a relationship with Jesus? I'll tell you the truth. If we ever get serious, if you and I ever get serious about sharing our faith outside these walls, and not just on Sunday, but, but, but Monday through Saturday, we will not be able to contain the people that God will bring us. Sharing Christ will grow our faith. And here's the last one, number five. Serve. Serve. Every pastor on Sunday nights and Monday morning goes through the holy hangover. And if you've ever had the other kind of hangover, you know that that one can cause you to think, why did I do that? Well, pastors go through that too. I can't believe I said that. If I ever make the mistake of listening back to the CD, oh my, did I say that? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Nobody's going to come back next week. And, and, and truthfully, some Sundays, I, I'm, I'm happy when Vicky shows back up, much less anybody else. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how annoying that fan is up in the stands, the, the one who, who does nothing but watch the game and complain about what the players on the field are doing. And, and I said that uh, no team... No player ever stops on the field and says, hey, hey, coach, see that guy up there in the stands? You know, he, he reads uh, Sports Illustrated, and he watches Sports Center and, and he plays Madden. I think we ought to ask him what we should do. I 
I said, the team on the field never looks at the spectators in the stands to find out what they think or what their suggestions are. And, you know, the holy hangover kicked in. And I began to feel some remorse. I can't believe I said that. That was probably offensive to some people. What was I, what was I thinking? And so I, I, I thought about it and I prayed about it. And I want to say this in all humility. I meant every word. <laughs> every word. Attendance does not equal involvement. Our doors are open to anyone. These seats are available for anyone who wants to come here for as long as they want to come here. But please, 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 let's not fool ourselves into thinking that showing up and occupying a seat has connected us and involved us in the life and ministry of this church. Take a look at something Jesus said to his followers. Something we've probably read many times, but we kind of gloss over it. We kind of move past it. It was the last night of his life when he was celebrating communion with them for the very first time. And I'll read from Luke's account of it in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. Luke says, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now, how in the world... Can we look at our God who sent his son, who gave his body and his blood for us, who has called us and equipped us and empowered us and tell that God, uh, yeah, I really can't give you one Sunday a month. Really? Really? In light of what Jesus has given us. And keep in mind, we're not asking anybody to serve for the whole service, every service, every Sunday, all year long. We're not asking anybody to do that. We're asking, what can you do? What will you do? Are we, it dozens of things that people could do, be involved in, ways that could help. What will you do? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given each of you a gift. He's given you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. We're called to serve. And I know something about you. I'm your pastor and I love you. And I know that you will never become the person God wants you to be. You will never become the follower of Jesus you could be unless and until you start serving. Until you're serving Jesus on a consistent basis, you're not growing. You're not developing. 
And I don't want you to be that irresponsible or dysfunctional or developmentally challenged adult with 20 or 30 or 40 years in the church and you still can't take care of yourself. You can't feed yourself. You can't clean up after yourself. God has called you. He has gifted you. He has equipped you. He's not asked you to do one thing He is not going to empower you to do. And you are too important to do nothing but sit and soak. Step up! Do what God has called you to do. Serve. I want you to grow in Christ. The core, really for me, comes down to two things. I want you to know Christ, and I want you to grow in Christ. I want you to know, and I want you to grow. But you can't do that unless you're serving, giving, sharing your faith, and acquainting yourself with God's Word. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.